Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Irma Gerd, it's Scripture. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to our podcast Her. called Script Shop. Welcome to Scripture. Welcome to Scripture. I'm Jerk. Scrip- I'm Erlison. <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't work unless well. it's Alasur. Erlison. I'm Erlison. Erlison. <laughs> and Ferk. <laughs> and Ferk is here. Ferkster. Hi, everybody. This is our podcast where scripture. we talk about weird old memes that don't really work anymore. But And we also talk to screenwriters about their scripts. Uh, we love talking to these writers and why they were the one person in all of the world that could have written this script and what it means to them. And who is our writer that wrote today's script? Today we have Joe Wakefield on the show. He has written The Hermit and the Automatons, a 14-page steampunk fantasy with love and loss overtones. I like that title a lot. Uh, the Hermit and the Automatons? Yeah, it's like a 60s album. Did you check out the latest Hermit and the, and the Automatons record? It's so good. No, I really do like that title a lot. Uh, hey, if you've written something out there and you want to get it to us, just like Joe did with his script, The Hermit and the Automatons, you can, you can do it by uh, <laughs> sending us that work by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. Yes, we definitely want to see your work. You can also, uh, you know, show us other things. No DPs, please. Excuse me? <laughs> this is the internet. you got to be very specific. Well, that's the thing is the internet. Yeah. Uh, if you look us up on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. We are at Script Shop Show on all of those things. And on Twitter, I am your bestie Westie. And I'm at Script Shop Jack. For the record, if people did send me DPs, I would just retweet them. Oh, God. It would be hilarious. Uh, don't say that. I know. No. Don't listen to Allison many, at all. This is getting cut out. How many pictures are we going to get? This don't is getting cut, cut out. out. This is getting cut out. I can't run the risk of this happening. It's going to mess me up. Because you don't want to see other guys' Ds. So you can also make sure that you leave us a review and like and subscribe. <laughs> Mash that notification bell and all the other YouTubeisms that. I, Frank, are we on YouTube? We're, we have a login. We have a login, we have though, a login we? in case we want to be on. Okay. Well, anyway, you know what to do to leave us a review and subscribe to us and tell your friends that they should subscribe to us. And, you know, then they Listen. tell two people and then they tell two people. And like, all of a sudden there's a sea of redhead listeners uh-huh. plus Frank. Our band should be Frank and the Redheads. Yeah. I think we've had this discussion before. and It's, I, it's still relevant. I probably questioned why we don't get top billing, but that's Well, because weird, there's two of us, obviously. We have to be the background singers. <laughs> it's just a weird ego thing on my end more than anything what else. What would it be? Jack and the Allison and Frank? Jack and the producers? No, I don't know. No, it wouldn't be like that either. That would be good, though. That's another good one. Jack, listen, we got a lot of good 60s band names we're Jack and the today. producers, Frank and the Redheads. Frank and the Redheads does sound better. And you know what? I'm just a headliner, so mine's just Allison. There we go. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Nailed we, it. <laughs> uh, you can, we, we went a little more business we got to get to. Uh, if you do want to uh, support the show financially, we are da, also... Da, da, da. <laughs> da, da, da. Da, da, right. da, da. We're on Patreon. I've got a bit today. My parents sent us money. <laughs> I'm Here's sorry, $10 what? for you. What? Listeners, I'm pulling $10 out of my pocket. Because, no, this is a real thing. My mom and dad have been catching up on the shows, and they're texting me <laughs> Wait. their favorite parts. Okay. And at some point, I asked my dad for $30 on a show. Yeah, there was sort of a run there where yeah, you were sort of- where I was like, Dad, send us, I don't know, 30 bucks. Regularly hitting them up for dough. So they got to that episode, and my mom Venmoed me 30 bucks and said, because you asked for it on Script Shop. And so there's your cut, $10 for Frank. $10 for Jack, $10 for me. This is to cover, I'm going to just say, your gas expenses for the last year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, this is very sweet. Thank you, Mom and Dad, very much for sending Thank this in. Thank you for patronizing us. Yes, we appreciate that. And if you out there who are listening are inspired enough by Allison's parents to maybe want to follow in their footsteps, if you go on to Patreon.com, you can uh, sponsor us as well, and we could do another one of these weird segments where we make a big deal out of somebody sending us money. $10 each. To be clear, money that you send us will be used for future things. Of course, ten. what are we going to do with $10 uh-huh. each? We're not going to let 30 bucks sit in our script shop bank account. We're going to pass that out. And maybe maybe we should have a drink after the show. That's a possibility. Does sure. that sound like friendship? I have to box in the morning, but I'd be down.
Yeah, we can make it work. Okay, the, that aside. So we uh, we introduced we uh, Joe Wakefield sent us in the Hermit and the Automatons, and he's been believe it or not very patiently waiting. We we get the person on the line ahead of time, and then they have to sit on and hold then they just wait while we do this. Not like everybody else would record the intro like afterward. They just want to get the in, the interview over and yeah, done with. At least it's all real. But Joe's a patient dude, and uh, hi Joe Wakefield, welcome to Script Shop. Howdy, how's it going? Ooh, <laughs> howdy, I love howdies. Oh, yes. Elsa. Howdy. Yeah. Oh, you know, I was I was debating. I was like, I'm going to go bonjour. No, no. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. Darn it, I would have loved the bonjour. Don't want to be No, bonjour would have been great. Ooh, oh, <laughs> bonjour, that's hilarious. So, Joe, was there, a, was there a specific motivation behind going with howdy, howdy instead of bonjour? Or hello? Uh, you know, I, I figured a, a good old howdy with absolutely no accent would be a, would yeah. be the way to go. All right. Good man. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that was very yeah. well thought out, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you calling us from? Uh, well, uh, the heart of Hollywood on Sunset and Highland. <laughs> yeah. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what's really funny is Hollywood actually is not a city. The North Hollywood is a city. West Hollywood is a city. But Hollywood is actually just a part of Los Angeles. I didn't know that. I actually didn't know that either. How do you know that? I've lived here long enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you a born and raised Hollywooder? No, no. Technically, uh, well, not technically. Well, technically, you like couldn't that. be. Yeah, technically. Uh, no, I was uh, Dearborn, Michigan, actually. Oh. Mm. Well, how'd you get to Hollywood? Yeah. Uh, 2012, <laughs> I got some money uh, doing uh, helping out my, my uncle, who was disabled at the time. And it was not much. It was probably four or five grand. And I'm just like... All right, well, I'll go to Los Angeles, and it'll either be a really fun three-month vacation, or I'll get enough money to stay. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> what did you end up doing? That's what happened? Um, well, when I first got here, I did a lot of PA gigs, which, uh, believe it or not, in Craigslist, when you first get out here and you don't know anyone, if you're not looking for paid work, you're just trying to meet people. Craigslist. Trust me, it's it seems weird, but it's real. Uh, and yeah, and then if you do central casting, which is uh, place in Burbank, which gets you extra roles. Uh, that helps too. And basically you just try to work your way into the industry by meeting people. Uh, this doesn't work if you're trying to be like working in the offices of Paramount or what have you. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to work on set, you just need to get on set. Yeah. And then you get on set and then you can show, Hey, I'm capable of doing whatever job you need me to do. And then that gets you build your resume from there. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, there's uh, two trains of thought pretty much. You just try to do as many gigs as you can and you know, live check by check, or you try to get a day job and balance your time between that and gigs. And, you know, there's no right way, but that's the big battle. Everybody out here who's scrounging by faces. (laughs) What did did you end up doing? Which one did you choose? Oh, I worked, uh, I worked many day jobs. I'm happy to say I don't right now, but I worked at the veggie grill, which is a really good vegan restaurant. It's basically fast food but it's vegan so you know they have fried chicken sandwiches that are made obviously out of soy and whey protein and all this other stuff but um i'm from detroit and my mm. job before i got the job at the vegan restaurant was a butcher's assistant mm. so it was uh it was very different when i went there i and humor they they don't think i uh, well they didn't think i was funny when i first got here apparently <laughs> crude and tasteless humor doesn't work out here in vegan restaurants. Mm. I don't know. Well, yeah. no yeah. surprise. You're kidding. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like I thought everybody liked a good dead baby joke, but nope, nope. It's, apparently, it's a, it's you know acquired taste. Yeah. Oh, don't say that. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So Joe, so this is a oh, this no, is such a, a sort of a, a stereotypical thing. You're you're this Midwest guy. You pack up a suitcase and just go west looking for adventure, adventure, fame and fortune, gold, j- jobs. You know, whatever. This is this is such a classic story. Yeah, I just I wish I had done it sooner. I when I did it, I was 24, and I, I wish I was 19. Of course, because <laughs> your life was over by the time you were 24. <laughs> when you're 24, you think your life is over. Yeah. to be fair. Sure. No, I totally get that too. You're like, oh no, and then you realize that there are lots of other doors ahead of you. Actually. So you. Yeah, yeah. So, so you got out there and you started doing uh, different gigs here and there. How did writing start to work its way into your life? Uh, well, I've always uh, written my own films, you know, like having a movie camera and just making silly things with your friends growing up. Um, I never took a class originally. I never even 
I never even read a book about how to screen uh, write screenplays. What I did was I actually just downloaded screenplays and just read them. Okay. So that's how I learned the structure and things like that. And basically, I um, did that for many years until I, when I came out here, I started taking it a lot more seriously. Obviously, it was probably around 2013. Uh, we started really putting all my focus on that. I say uh, we because my roommate mm-hmm. is also my editor and she's okay. wonderful and I want to give her a shout out. <laughs> oh, please What's do. What's your name? Uh, Tessa Philbrick. She's a production designer, a special effects makeup artist, and my uh, e- grammar editor when need be. <laughs> it's, it's always nice to have a jack of all trades in your court. Yeah, that helps. Am I right, Jack? I don't know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you, but so you know, then things start building up and you start putting stuff out there more and more with, with Tessa's assistance? Uh, yeah, because, you know, everything is a build. When I first came out here, I couldn't afford anywhere. So what I did was I rented a bunk bed. There's these places that super sublet there. You could find them all over the place, but basically it's a house with like four bedrooms and there's two bunk beds in each bedroom and they charge $500 to $700 per bunk bed. So the guy who owns the house is making out like a bandit, but you have to live with like 17 people. Mm -hmm. And I did that for two years while just so I didn't have to work too much. And I had time to pursue film and write. Wow. Oh my God. What did your mom say? (laughs) Uh, Well, my mom is used to me doing very interesting and daring things. So she was just like, okay, go, go for it. I have the most supportive mother in the world. I, I couldn't tell you. Have you seen the show, the Goldbergs? Yeah. That is my mother. A little toned down, <laughs> okay. but not much. Yeah. What do you mean, like, interesting and daring things? This is something that you do? Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. I've always just kind of been very adventurous. Like, uh, what were you like in high school? <laughs> a little bit of a, a troublemaker. I didn't like school, so I just didn't really try. So I was getting like 1.0 or 2.0s, like just really, really low. And then my senior year, I don't remember who it was, but someone called me stupid. So I got mad at them and I just aced everything and oh. got a 4.0 that whole year. <laughs> oh, and- that's such a power move. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, in hindsight, that was a terrible choice because, uh, <laughs> man, my grade point average suffered for those first couple of years. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Did you, so you didn't go to college, you just moved from um, where you grew up, from the Detroit area out to California? Well, I actually, all right, so I did go to college. I went to Henry Ford Community College, which is now Henry Ford College, they actually upgraded. Uh, I did that, which was culinary arts for about a year. Mm -hmm. Then I went to Columbia College Chicago, and I studied film, and that was only for about a year because that is a Wonderful, great school, not talking bad about it at all, just super expensive Mm -hmm. and was nothing I could maintain. So then (laughs) when I came out here to Los Angeles, I decided to finish the schooling and I'm uh, currently about four months away from graduating bachelor's degree at a Los Angeles film school. Yeah, that's that's very cool. And you've been working your way through it the whole time. So it's like there's a little bit of learning and then a little bit of practical along with. Yeah, it's been an adventure. It definitely has. Hmm. So why did you decide to finish your school specifically? Like, what does that mean to you? I just wanted a degree. I really just wanted a degree because you do not need a film degree to work in the film industry. Mm -hmm. Unless you want to be an executive. If you want to be like the business side, yeah, absolutely. Get a degree. But if you're just trying to work in film, you want to be a camera guy, you want to be any of this, you could learn it yourself. And you could learn by doing. You get on sets, you PA, you shadow someone, you learn basics, you, then you get the books so you know the lenses. I mean, it's it's a it's a trade. It's a very yeah. high-skilled and important trade. I'm not trying to diminish at all. I'm just saying school, you go to school for networking. I've met many people at my film school who have helped me. I've met many teachers. And that's really the benefit of going to school. Not so much the degree. I actually uh, am pitching a show soon to uh, a network. I don't want to say which one because it's not all official yet. But the point is they say in their little this is how you pitch to us. They say don't talk about your school. We don't care where you went. Mm -hmm. Like that is written out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
That must be a problem then for them. People come and say, well, I went to... Excuse me. Excuse me. I went... Yeah, right. <laughs> Hi, I have a degree from the School of Hard Knocks. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I wish somebody yeah, would say right. that to them. So I always <sighs> like to talk to when we've got people that have worked in the industry doing things outside of writing and the fact that you've been doing various PA jobs and other things. How have your other film industry-related work jobs... Uh, influenced what you write and what you write about and how you write, if at all. Uh, yeah, basically, to get you usually don't get hired as a writer or director right off the gate unless you're self-financing something. It's very rare that you're just gonna someone's gonna hand you a directing or writing job. Mm-hmm. So knowing that, I focused a lot on art, and I've been a production designer and an art director on several several projects, and that helped a lot with coming up with ideas of basically how to do great looking sets or props incredibly cheaply cool. and inexpensively. You know what I mean? Because so I, if I write something, I usually write what I know I can create or I know someone who can create it or we have it. You know what I mean? You write what you have. That's the cheapest way if you're going to produce it. If you're not going to produce it, it doesn't matter. Make it spaceships. Yeah, sure. Other than that, it's all fair game. Yeah. So let's say yeah. you get to L.A., you are currently back in school, you start getting on set, you started working your way through, you started doing art. Art led to writing how? Uh, well, writing was always there. Mm-hmm. Nothing really led to writing. Writing was just always something I did. Uh, writing screenplays, I basically waited until I had three features written, and this is probably around 2014. Uh, and then I made the leap, the scary leap of – giving it to someone you don't know. And everyone's always worried about their stuff getting ripped off. Uh, believe it or not, the first guy I met was once again through Craigslist. He was asking if uh, anyone had any features. He was willing to option. Uh, seemed legit. He had a YouTube channel. I mean, it wasn't like he was hiding himself. So yeah. I thought I'd take the risk. Worst that happens, he steals it. Oh, no, it happens. If you're a writer who only has one story, then you have bigger problems. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So I took the risk. Uh, a great guy. Uh, his name is Gershom. Uh, he's actually bought several of my scripts now. Uh, and that was where I made my first sale. I optioned. It was it was a terrible deal, but it was my first script. I optioned it for like a five hundred or a thousand dollars. I don't remember for like three years, which is unheard of. Normally you want wow. to do an option for like six months. But um, yeah, meeting him, meeting him led me to other people. And basically most of my most of the features and shorts that I've sold have all been to independent producers uh, based around what they had. Mm-hmm. They were like, hey, we have a house on Catalina Island. We have a woman who we wants to be the lead. She's a redhead. And we have this weird dog, Cocker Spaniel mixed with a Cordy. And I'm like, OK, odd. I could put that in a script. What do you want? And they're like, horror <laughs> comedy. And I'm like, great. <laughs> here you this, go. <laughs> this is amazing. This really sounds like we get so many writers who are like, you know what? I just needed I just needed a couple of parameters. And then you'll yeah. never believe what came out of me. Yeah. You know, we talk about like 48-hour film projects or we talk about something that someone had, competitions where people have little parameters for. Yeah, flash fiction type stuff. Sure. Yeah. And that's kind of what this is setting up for, for you to do where, the, you know, they say, okay, here's some money. Do this, this, this. Do this feel and go there's also an interesting bit with this joe where you talked about how you were going to school for culinary arts and then you worked at that vegan grill for a while but what you sort of just described with well we've got a house in catalina and we've got this redhead lady it's almost like you're you're writing a, a script that's like made to order right they, they they're letting you know sort of what they're looking for and then you're you're baking it all into a pie essentially yeah i mean uh i've optioned many of my own things but a lot of times people come to me and they're just like we want to buy it outright this is what we have because you use what you got. If you have a great 1950s sports car, then damn it, you should put it in your movie, you sure. know? And that's a lot of these uh, independent producers. They're what we would consider rich, but $100,000 film is incredibly low budget. Yeah. So, you know, they, like the rest of us, use what they got. Joe, it doesn't sound like you've got a very, uh, like you're, you're, you're clutching on to your, to your beautiful little babies and holding them t- close to your chest. It sounds like you've got an extremely practical sort of mindset with this. Well, I'm going to put this thing together, and if somebody wants to buy it, that's great, and then we can move on and then establish a relationship and move on from there. It, it, it sounds like you've got an extremely realistic uh, head on your shoulders. 
Uh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Uh, you should tell my mother. She would be thrilled to hear someone else say that. Listen, Joe's mom, Joe's clearly got his stuff together, all right? He's, Send he's, us some money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she hears that enough from me. Yeah. I'm all right. I do really appreciate the fact that you're like, well, I just look for people to buy my scripts on Craigslist. Yeah. So here's a note to all the other writers who are looking to sell things. Craigslist seemingly is a viable marketplace still. But let me be clear about this. It is weeding through a bunch of crap and you could have a hundred things that are crooks, thieves and terrible people. And then that one guy, you just can't be afraid to look. I mean, the thing is with Craigslist, as you know, you could post whatever you want for free. So you get a lot of weird things. Like if you look up, if you're in Los Angeles, you look up acting gigs, they're all porn. Every single one. Yeah. <laughs> this is where we circle back to dick pics, right? No, don't. We don't need to circle back. <laughs> the more I circle back, the more it's going to have to stay in this show. So, Joe, this uh, <laughs> script that you sent us, The Hermit and the Automatons, where does this sort of fall into your like cycle of having written stuff, sold some things, uh, working on producing things? Where does this sort of fit yourself. Yeah, in the world here for you? Uh, that was actually written in 2014, and it was written for my buddy Fernando. Uh, he's a great filmmaker. He runs uh, Vet TV with uh, another gentleman named Brady. Uh, long story short, though, for his thesis, he wanted uh, he he wasn't the strongest writer then. He's a great writer now. I want to make that clear. He is fantastic. I give him full endorsement. But at the time, he was uh, still learning a lot of the structure, and he I was like, yeah, I'll write something, and. He was like, okay, cool. Make it really, really cool. Like steampunky. And, <laughs> and I don't know. Let's, I don't know. I want to see he, the only thing he described to me is the scene where the automaton is projecting a memory mm-hmm. onto the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he wanted that imagery and he said steampunky and that was all he gave me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay. And, uh, four days later I, I gave him the script. Mm-hmm. Again, this is like another made-to-order project, right? This guy knew what he, he – there was a couple things he wanted and said, okay, can you write this? And you said, yeah, sure, I can write that. Well, I was just wondering, like, if someone was going to Yelp review your restaurant of screenplay writing, what do the reviews usually say? Are they happy with what you hand them? Not to sound cocky at all, but I've <laughs> never had anyone tell me that they weren't happy with Good. it except one time. Yeah. And that was that was a script doctoring job. Uh, I was given a script that a guy purchased or um, excuse me, optioned from a different gentleman. And he wanted me to basically touch up the dialogue and see if I can make a better through line and what have you. But the issue was, it was, in my opinion, not very good at all. And in order to save it, I tried to do some very radical things. I changed the gender of one of the siblings. I added a character. I did some stuff. And I really liked it and thought it was great and they agreed that it was great but it was a different script and that's not what they hired me to do so we came up with a deal and everything was settled and uh basically i just rewrote it the way he initially asked i I took away my creative license because you can't always do that Mm -hmm. you know i i had a lot of success from that point of taking wild leaps and never having anyone complain that was the first time i had someone say i wanted an orange not a tangerine Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds so, like you really took that in, though, and considered it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, you got to give them what they want. So yeah. he was a little annoyed because it took a, a you know an extra week or so for me to like straighten it, it out. Yeah. But uh, no, no love lost. So in this one, you showed it to your friend, and he was like, "This is exactly what I've been dreaming about." Yes. Mm, so you know you're much. you're given these kind of like little guideposts, but how do you feel on the rest of it? Or do you just kind of try to figure out what you've been thinking about or feeling, or you know how did you come up with what the rest of the story actually was? Uh, a lot of people use the technique where they write scenes on little post-it cards, so they can move them around and kind of do a timeline like that. Mm-hmm. I do something similar, but I do it in the script writing final draft program. Where if I have a scene in my head, I really will just kind of write that scene and then have a line of X's below it and a line of X's above it and separate it. And then that's how I do it. I kind of drop these little scenes in until eventually they form into the entire story. It's a really weird way of doing it. I've told other people told me that that is very strange. But I find that if I do it that way, I never lose the story and I have things that connect throughout the, the film simply because they were written that way rather than trying to, you know, do a callback to something you wrote 
maybe two months ago when you were on page 10. Mm-hmm. So you basically just kind of, and you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just trying sure. to figure out what this process is. But it's like, let's say you're given these guideposts, you kind of put those into your brain, turn the brain on, let it get to work. And then as it's working around on its own, you've got scenes that just start coming to you and you're writing those down. Uh, exactly. Uh, basically, I just I figure out who the characters are first. You know, these are my people. And then I start figuring out who they are and who they are usually takes off with their motivation. And then their motivation is the story. It just it all builds from each other. So I guess that the best way to put it is I start with characters. I develop them very strongly. And then I do write out of order. I don't want to go get confusing here, but um, I plan it all out in my head as far as a skeleton is. Mm -hmm. And then once you have those bullet points, you're just basically adding the muscles, mm -hmm. which are the scenes. Yeah. So I mean, one of the first things that you could come up with, you know, some sort of exchange between the two main characters could ultimately be the last scene in the script, depending on the way everything else sort of builds around it. Uh, absolutely. I wrote a feature called The Nightcrawlers, and the whole thing was based on a conversation about beer pong, and that was in the middle of the script. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, uh, the Hermit and the Automatons, it starts out in the 1950s, and there's an old guy who's on his deathbed, and he's sort of making a confession about someone that he killed, and it flashes back then into the 1800s when he was a much younger man, and he's this young guy named Finn who is sort of out in the wilderness before he needs to take responsibility for his parents' fortune. He wants to have some time to you know do his thing and he stumbles upon this cabin out in the middle of nowhere and finds this old guy named Laszlo who has even though it's 1860 something or 1880 something whatever year he has it, it, it pre 19th century late 19th century this Laszlo guy has created these wind up robots with pigskin. With yeah, with with pigskin draping I, I only, over them. I only have to bring that up because it's such an impactful yeah. visual that you know the main character Finn has the door open by this other uh, automaton, which we talked about as an old timey word for robot. Mm -hmm. Just in case you didn't know and you need to know now. And she's <laughs> yeah, know, an automaton is a is something that's wound up like a clock rather than running on a power source. I there have we go. Such a cute story to tell you guys. <laughs> Do you? <Okay. laughs> when we were little, my mom used to trick us into cleaning our rooms by pretending to wind us up. And she would say, when we wind you up, na -na -na -na, you go like a little robot. <laughs> and we would go like robots and clean up our rooms really fast. Well, your mom needs to read the script because there's a whole bit. Joe's got a whole bit in here where there's a straight wind up, did, do your did, job sort did, of thing. Did. Mm -hmm. So did you come up with the automatons just because your friend was like steampunk and that's all about gears and, I don't know, clocks and stuff? Uh, definitely. That was a huge contributing factor. But also I really loved the imagery of the automaton from Hugo, the Martin Scorsese film. Oh, sure. I just loved the way that that thing looked. So I was kind of wondering like, well, what would it look like if it was covered in skin and, you know, mm -hmm. actually made – to, on the outside, look as human as possible for the time period. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, because in the story we have Laszlo, who's invented the automatons, and he's doing it as a way to kind of preserve the memories of people who are passing on. Is he that... wants to save his yes. dead family. Yes, he wants to. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the script does take a bit of a twist. It starts out, I mean, there's always, there's a bit of a nightmare element that's just a little bit under the surface. And then, but but it's all, it's, it all sort of seems like it's a little bit above board, just with this guy that's made these sort of quirky robots. And then Until... Finn is staying with him and he's having these, he's he's getting this vibe that something, something ain't right. And then, yeah, ultimately come to find out that the, the woman robot and the kid robot that this guy's invented they're a way to for him to try to preserve the lives of and the souls of his dead wife and son and he's looking at trying to engineer their brains into the robot into the robots the pigskin robots so he can kiss them <laughs> <laughs> you know i just, just want to point it's a creepy out show I just want to point out that I wrote this in 2015, and that was before Miss Peregrine's Home of Peculiar Children yep. broke a kid who shows the projector out of his eye. And it was before the Replicants movie with uh, – what's his name? Um, Keanu Reeves. So oh, yeah. You need to find those people time, and be like, listen, people. We're <laughs> friends now. We're forming a club yeah. about robots and memories. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the memory robots.
So one of the big uh, themes in this, obviously, is the power of grief in this script and, and the idea that, that grief is it, – it, it, it can drive a person to do something maybe positive, but it can also twist people in a way. This, this Laszlo character who is, has created these robots and he's looking to transfer the living brains of his deceased wife and son into these robots. And, and it's, a, it's the idea that Finn gets so horrified by this idea that Finn trashes the place and he and Laszlo get into a fight and he ultimately kills Laszlo. That's the confession this older guy in the 50s is making, that he's Finn and he killed this mad scientist in the woods in the middle of nowhere. Do you feel that Laszlo is driven or twisted by his grief? Is Was Finn right? Is this a horrific thing that he's doing, or is he trying to do a good thing by bringing these two people basically back to life? Well, it absolutely is a horrific thing, but he doesn't know that. He truly believes that he's just downloading memories. He doesn't realize that while keeping the brains alive, he's essentially trapping them uh, in the jar, essentially. Yeah. So... I mean, I wouldn't say he was twisted. He's very driven. It's kind of like H.G. Uh, Wells' time machine. You know, he makes the time machine so he could save the love of his life and then ultimately finds out that her death was the reason why he made it. Right. That's, that is the purest form of driven. I, I'm, I'm actually catching up on season two of uh, Legion on FX. It's a wonderfully weird TV show that's loosely rooted in uh, X-Men stories. But, uh, but there, there's an episode that gets into the idea of moral panic. And it's talking about, you know, what's more scary, the fear or the frightened? And they're, they're, they're doing a bit of like a, a, a comparison to the Salem witch trials and the idea that when, when moral panic starts to set in, usually the reaction to it is very extreme. And sometimes you know, the people that are afraid of this thing end up becoming so much more scary than the thing that they're actually afraid of. And that something that was a thing that occurred to me reading this is, is Finn doing the right thing by stopping Laszlo from doing this? Or is Finn having this weird fear-based overreaction because he's getting into a realm that he just doesn't understand? See, that's the thing, right? We leave it up to the readers. Even the priest at the end simply says, I don't know, man, God will judge you. I, I can right. only say I forgive you. You know, in my humble opinion, I absolve you. I really like that ending, too, because... For our listeners, this story with the automatons is uh, bookended between a dying man's confession with a priest. And so at the end, the priest says, God is the only one who sees in black and white. For the rest of us, it's shades of gray. Here is my forgiveness. Let's wait and see what God says. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, what a way to die. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little dark. (laughs) Well, I like it. It fits fits with the rest of it, the steampunk theme here. But I do want to ask, too, like this whole idea of grief that Jack brings up and, you know, who's afraid, what really is the fear, et cetera. Why, Why did you put those themes into this script? Well, I mean, I'm sure all of us have had people in our lives who've died and we, you know, miss terribly. And I've always been into science fiction. So, you know, kind of like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, like, what would I do? And I I would make totally cool robots and my friends who unfortunately have passed. Uh, mm-hmm. One in particular, a friend of mine, Jeff Moser, he was a rapper in Detroit, actually had a pretty good following, but he unfortunately passed away at 24. And that would be the big one for me because I knew him since he was uh, in kindergarten. So like the purest form of best friend growing up. (laughs) So that was tough. Uh, So it wasn't so much family, but in a way it was because that kid was my brother. Sure. Well, friends of the family we choose. Absolutely. Uh, Do you want to read a little bit from, we need to read our selection here. Yes, yes, yes. So Joe, we're going to turn your microphone off for a little bit. And uh, oh, no. yes, we, we, don't uh, we, worry, we'll come back to you. We You're started getting into, we started getting into some of the bigger themes before we had a chance to give people a taste. You know, you got to give them a little sample to get them to come to the buffet. True. I say go for it. So we're going to hand out some teriyaki chicken in the food on court the here just for a second. We'll be right back with you. Hang on. Uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you're following along today, we're going to be reading scene three from The Hermit and the Automatons. That's on script page two. Um, Today, I will be doing stage directions and will be playing the role of the automaton Nora. Um, Also, we will have Jack reading for Finn. Hello. And Frank. (laughs) (laughs) He's so cute. Felt like we were being formal there. I wanted to say hi. Frank, who is here in the studio today, we have a very Frankful show. Yes. He will be reading for Laszlo, the crazy doctor. So, crazed? 
That's up for you to decide. That's right. Well, yeah, sure. That's exactly the point. Absolutely. So, Frank, if you want to say hi. I am recently a paid performer. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Congratulations. $10. Frank, this is big news. Yeah, $10. <laughs> I was like, Jack, how did you forget? There's two fives. I thought he was making reference to something else. Like, like Frank's going to have this announcement that he joined the Screen Actors Guild, which I'd be know. fine with. That would be Great. amazing. Frank has done lots of performance work for us. Well, he's never been paid, though. That's the whole <laughs> this is, point. He's now a paid yeah. performer. This yeah. is right. Thank you to our patrons, Joe and Debbie Helmberger, That's right. for your generous contributions to art in this esteemed world. So, are you guys ready? Yes. Obviously, I'm the one taking up time. I'm assuming <laughs> you're ready, Frank. Okay. And whenever you're ready, Allison, take it away. Scene three, interior, living room, moments later. Finn enters the main living space of the home, then returns his attention to Nora. Nora robotically turns towards Finn, then takes a few steps forward and stops. Finn slowly moves towards her to investigate. Nora keeps her expressionless face looking forward. She remains motionless as he waves his hand in front of her face. Once again, her voice is muffled and her mouth does not move. Finn jumps back in shock and fear. Finn approaches Nora again and slowly reaches for her hand. He tries to take her pulse. That's when he discovers a seam running from her palm and up her arm. In fact, her entire body is covered with patches of skin meticulously sewn together. Terrified, Finn screams ah! and falls back. A man in his late 50s, Laszlo, enters from a back room. Laszlo is a bearded, unkept man. His clothes are dirty and held together by leather straps and recycled metal machine parts. He has glasses and wears the top hat decorated with copper pieces and old clock gears. Who is in my home disturbing my much-needed rest? Finn gets to his feet and runs to the far side of the room. I'll ask again, boy. Who are you and what are you doing in my home? Are you a witch, sir? Laszlo was taken back by the question. Of course not. Don't be a fool. Here I find you in the middle of nowhere with a corpse as your servant girl, and you are so bold as to claim me dim when you so clearly hold dominion over the dead. Clearly, there is some sort of black magic at work here. You seem like a well-educated young man. You can't possibly believe in such nonsense. Yes, but I am also a God-fearing man, and I know the devil's work when I see it. She spoke without moving her lips. There is no soul in her eyes. I assure you, dear boy. There are no supernatural forces at work here. Laszlo walks over to Nora and steps behind her. He signals Finn to join him, and he does. Look at this. Laszlo opens a metal door on Nora's back, revealing the gears and other mechanical mechanisms needed to wind the automaton. Do you see? She's an automaton. Nothing more than gears and springs. She's basically a giant clock. But how does it speak? An internal phonograph, my dear boy a device for the mechanical reproduction of sound using vibration recorded onto the surface of rotating cylinders. A going-away gift from my dear friend, Edison. Laszlo grabs a key from around his neck and puts it into the keyhole on the back of Nora. He turns the key to wind her up. As for why her mouth didn't move, she simply needed to be wound up. Laszlo closes the door on Nora's back and walks around to face her. Then he waves his hands in front of her face. Hello! This time, Nora's mouth moves as she talks, and her voice is perfectly clear. There, you see? But where did you obtain the human skin for this abomination? Human skin? Laszlo begins to laugh. It's pig skin. There's not a beast alive that looks more like our own flesh than that of a swine. I assure you, I am no murderer. Tell that to the pigs. Indeed. Well, it has been a pleasure, but if you don't mind, I need to get my rest. And I've had quite enough from rude, unwanted visitors for one night. Thank you for stopping by. Please don't return. There's the door. Laszlo gestures towards the door. The pack of wolves can be heard outside the house. Please, sir, just let me stay the night. By the sound of it, if you refuse me shelter tonight, I will almost certainly not see the morning. Very well. Come with me. Laszlo leads Finn out to an adjacent room and... Scene. And that's the end of the scene. That's the big uh, meeting, Joe, between Laszlo and Finn. D where did that scene sort of come, if you remember, in your uh, construction of this script? Uh, that one actually came pretty early on because I wanted to figure out how these two characters could meet. 
And I wanted to basically put as much in a short, it's difficult. You try to put as much information as you can in each scene. So that one was just me trying to really come up with the best introduction of the characters and the logical reason why he would be there. Yeah, it's it's you got to kind of you're, the clock's kind of ticking when you're writing a short like this and you you know what you want to accomplish. And uh, you, the, the motivation for Laszlo being this hermit who's living out in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden randos at his door like yeah come in let me explain to you all this stuff i'm doing okay now please get the hell out mm-hmm. like you're almost sort of bound by the, the 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 length of your script to sort of make all that happen right yeah yeah i mean hence the fact that there's a few weeks passing a montage yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean you do the time how you how you do a short is is very much the same as a feature but it's just super condensed and you you have to take a scene as almost like an act every once in a while so um, the scene where – so we have – you know, he starts to stay the night. He's kind of watching everything that's going on. He's getting more used to all the inventions that are happening here. At what point do you think he kind of realizes that something not exactly right is happening? What's that defining moment in the script for you? I'd say once the dream repeats. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very rare for you to have the same dream again. I mean, we have similar versions of dreams, but like the exact same one, it just seems like it would be leading to something. And in my mind, that's that's really it. Is he doesn't know why he feels this like sense of menace in the in the home because Laszlo's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. You know, the he's not evil. It's just unfortunately some of the greatest evils are done by people just trying to do good. Yeah. So, I mean, and this sort of gets back to our discussion from before we read about grief and whether or not Laszlo is driven or twisted. And, you know, from what you were talking about, if you had the opportunity to Frankenstein, you talked about your friend. So for you, like, are there things that we shouldn't meddle in or should it be just a wide open? Yeah, go for it if you can. Oh, man, that's that's a tough one. It really is. Um I don't know. I don't think we should meddle, but I have no moral stance against it. It's mm-hmm. just it just seems like we're going to create an AI like Terminator or we're going to just doom ourselves in some fashion. We'll we'll create a disease as a weapon. It'll get out and kill the entire population. You know, it's just I, I I'm kind of weary of the, uh, the the super science, if you will. Yeah. But no moral objection to it, because, you know, whatever you believe we as a species are very inquisitive and we want to learn and we want to discover and to put any rule that saying someone can't do that is actually going against who we are as creatures, as people. I'd agree with that because ultimately it's really up to how things get applied. We, we can, there, there are decisions that can be made after something is achieved as to how it's going to be used. And we're, we're equally capable of using something for quote unquote good as we are using it for quote unquote bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what if someone invented some way to bring people back from the dead, if they just died or whatever, and we decide we're going to use this for very good people, very good saviors. Okay, great. Ten years later, there's an army of undead. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> that's just, that's how that goes, unfortunately. Mm. I like the way that your brain's working with this, though. You know, you're taking this one concept, you're taking a step further, and then you're kind of thinking about it down the road, which is, you know, I don't feel like I meet a ton of people who think that way. I like seeing it applied to the script here where you've got this guy who loses someone, takes it, tries to rebuild love, tries, and he kind of has to deal with it, but... It's not even about that. It's about basically this dying man trying to deal with murdering somebody else. And maybe he feels similarly to Laszlo in those ways. Like, was it or was it not a good or bad thing to try to kill? Well, you know, it was self-defense, really, that he killed him in. Yeah, I mean, that does kind of make it a little bit more understandable. But that doesn't mean it wouldn't wear at his own heart. You know, I I don't think... Very many people out there are comfortable with the idea of killing someone else. <laughs> sure, nor, and nor should we be. Is that is that why? Thank the, God, right? Yeah, right. Is that why the story is sort of framed as? A, I was curious as to why this is all sort of framed as a flashback deathbed confession instead of just telling a story about some twenty-year-old running around in the wilderness in the late eighteen hundreds. Well, uh, I wanted to pose the question if what he did was good or bad. Okay, I. Uh, I think there's a lot of contradictory, contradictory, excuse me, I can't talk apparently. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of things in 
every religion that are very contradictory to themselves. Uh, you know, love everybody except if they like someone of the same sex or, you know, you're going to hell if you do this or, you know, I don't want to give a bunch of examples. It's not about religion, but the point is I wanted to, I wanted to make a statement of to the people out there who have firm beliefs, what do you feel when you are presented with a situation that is very gray? Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that's a fair question because I mean that's the, the 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 priest is juggling that at the end. I think the I think the priest is even sort of struggling to come up with a response to this guy. I think I to me the way I read that final scene and that priest's answer of well God sees things in black and white and we're just sort of all in shades of gray. To me that is the priest 100% questioning everything that he has held dear up until he hears this story from this guy that just, you know, met a mad scientist and was trying to it it, it opened up so many other doors and questions. That's the priest to mm-hmm. me trying to figure stuff out on the fly i'm really glad that you got that because that was definitely what i was trying to convey in that moment do you think that uh the soul is like intrinsically linked with the brain or is is even important the concept of soul for you well yeah um i think it would have to be in the brain i and i'm taking a very scientific not religious Sure. Stance on this. But it makes sense because everything that we are is dictated by our thoughts, our brain. I just to me, if the soul could be found, if you could look in to the brain and find that little spot, I I, I know I think that that's where it would be. Um, then you have the whole question of do memories like if someone had all of my memories, are they Joe Wakefield? Right. They right. they that's that's a fun question I want to play with, too. If Laszlo was to succeed and downloaded every one of his sons and wife's memories, despite the fact that they would be automatons, would that have actually brought them back? Or is it just basically creating a different being who would more than likely come to the same conclusions as this person you lost? Yeah, building from a starting point and then however unique they are from there is where they would go. It wouldn't necessarily guarantee that it's – I get what you're saying. I think that's, a, that's a, a question that people are asking themselves a lot. I remember when you know cloning started showing up in the news and scientists were making some progress with cloning. There was Dolly the sheep and then some talk about you know if you've got a pet that has passed away – Potentially, you know, you could hire some firm to take a bit of this pet and regrow it. Is that still your pet or is it just an animal that happens to look exactly like your pet? Exactly. And that also brings up the fun thing of uh, the argument of whether or not animals have souls. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. Because if you're just duplicating a creature, great, cool. You duplicated the creature. But is that same thing? Is that the same creature? Sure. Does it have Mm -hmm. the same thoughts and stuff? Mm. Um. You know, and that's a debate whether or not you believe animals have thoughts. I, I personally do because every animal I've ever owned had very different personalities. But, you know, depends on your point of view. Do you have any plans currently for producing this short film? It seems like there's a lot of thought behind it and it'd be really fun to see it come yeah, to life. for sure. Come to life. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, no, um... If I was to do this one, it would have to be with a real budget and I would do it as a feature, Mm. Um, which uh, there is one outlined uh, and pretty much completed. Uh, I just shorts are great. And if you're going to make a short to show your work and to try to get a job, wonderful. That's a great use of your time. But shorts are very rarely distributed. It's it's becoming more common now with all the streaming out there. But it's better, in my opinion, to if you're going to produce something, to produce a pilot of an episode if you want to do a short. Mm. It just there's there's more capability of taking it and shopping it and trying to get it funded as opposed to, hey, look at this great thesis I made and it ends up on YouTube. And sure, you might you know win an award here or there, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't help you very much. Mm-hmm. And that's all obviously case by case basis. I'm sure there's examples out there of people who have done great things, but overall Mm -hmm. so you're just waiting for the money to come along do you have the feature film version of this already written uh outlined and mostly finished okay so you're ready to go as soon as someone says hey listen write me a feature film uh using a short script you already have with some automatons Mm -hmm. and maybe a couple of uh memories and a dying guy you say i got you coming coming up we we have that already do i have a script for you (laughs) i i do produce uh things and my own content uh actually my lovely fiance lizzie wheeler castillo soon to be wheeler uh excuse me soon to be wakefield 
Uh, she produced with me an eight-episode series that we're going to be pitching soon, and that took us all last year to make. We have a bunch of wonderful actors involved and a pretty decent budget for that one. So we do we do produce things, but making the uh, Herman the Automatons is is a dream that would cost a lot more. Okay, well, so Joe, because you're busy doing stuff and making stuff, obviously, if people hear this, you know, you're not just some guy on the sidelines saying, I'd like to do this, and boy, sure, it would be cool. Like, you've got a lot of irons in the fire. There, there, I would assume that there is a wonderful way if somebody wants to get in touch with you if, after they've heard this show and read your script and heard the interview. What's the best way for somebody to do that? Well, I, I have a Twitter, I'm at SpookyJoeW, and Instagram as SpookyJoe. Uh, beyond that, you could just... Uh, Find my email. It's uh, Joe Wakefield Screenplays at gmail.com. That is perfect. Joe, we will make sure to have uh, some various ways to contact you as we uh, get the show out there into the world on our various feeds and on scriptshopshow.com. Thanks. That'd be wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We love talking to you about your script, The Hermit and the Automatons. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Joe, really thanks appreciate a lot. It. Joe, thanks a lot. Appreciate your time. All right. There's Joe. The farewells that we must deliver upon. <laughs> You're, we're getting into this like sort of flowery late <laughs> 1800s dialogue it's, here. Well, it, it just reads through it. It's got, you You can see it. You can see it in the language. I was like, this kind of reads like a dark fantasy. And then yeah. that's when I said, what's that genre? And you went, steampunk. <laughs> you didn't it's even finish steampunk. your sentence. Yeah, I knew exactly. <laughs> I, one of the things I liked that he brought up was the idea of Frankenstein. Because yeah. I think Frankenstein's really unique in like the pantheon of horror monsters and Halloween monsters and stuff because like Dracula and the mummy and like the wolfman that's all sort of like straight up Immortal. horror magical yeah. whatever yep but Frankenstein is this mix it's a creation it, there's science behind it it's yeah. not just like it's straight up horror there's a science fiction angle to it and I think that Joe uh tapped into that in a in a really interesting way mm-hmm. I agree um yeah he really did and that guy's smart yeah he's smart as can be isn't he he just suddenly starts like tripping down his mind revealing doors along the way that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I haven't thought about before. He's the kind of person that you want to get drunk with, quite frankly. Joe, yeah, and super, and, and find work with. Super smart, super practical. Oh, uh, yes, yes, work in business, work in business. All, yes, well, listen, a little <laughs> bit of all those things. If you've got some work in business or you're just getting drunk, uh, either way, if you've written it into a script, you can send it to us. Might and, as well. Yeah, sure, take a shot, why not? <laughs> take a shot. hey yep. we're very punny today. <laughs> you can send us your work by going on to script shop show.com slash submit we would love to read your work and hear what you have to say so please get those scripts in and don't forget to connect with us on uh, facebook instagram or twitter at script shop show that's that's our name i almost said script shop show.com look script shop show up (laughs) on all those different things that she mentioned yep thanks for listening y'all yeah we really love it thank you so much for tuning in and until next week that's a wrap script shop was created by allison west Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.